What's up, Lauren? What's up? <laughs> so we did this call. I figured we talk all the time, so it just made sense to kind of provide an outlet to have a better understanding about what we're trying to do from a nutrition standpoint, how we're trying to, I guess, evolve the profession. Uh, we both have had some experience within the past couple of years at the, in the collegiate setting. And I think we want to try to transfer what we did in, and are doing in the collegiate setting to the general population and to other athletes, athletics, and incorporating functional medicine or components of functional medicine into a, an overarching program can obviously be really helpful. And we've had experience with that. So I guess, can you start off by just letting us know like, what is, what is functional sports nutrition? Yeah, definitely. So the way I see it in my mind, and of course this is somewhat of like a made up definition, right? Cause I don't really know that it is quite a definite or a term yet. Um, but it's that bridge, like you said, like that intersect between functional sports or functional medicine um, components and pillars and bridging that with sports nutrition and really being able to find a root cause approach to how you optimize someone's well-being and performance. Yeah, that's awesome. I think when, when it comes to anything, whether it's strength training or nutrition, finding that root cause or the limiting factor is going to be absolutely critical. Uh, obviously, my, my background currently as a student of chiropractic medicine, we're always trying to find what's causing the key issue and then kind of backtracking to see what the catalyst is and how one reaction could cause another reaction. Uh, so I guess with that being said, have you found any particular uh, testing or any particular uh, protocols that are needed upfront when athletes come in and you're trying to figure out what's going to be the biggest, I guess, log jam that they're experiencing right now. And then how can we kind of address that when you have so many people, how do you, how do you approach that? Yeah, I think in the collegiate setting, there's probably more limitations than when you're working privately um, and individually with someone, right? Um, in my own practice, I utilize a lot of different testing modalities, whether that's like analyzing stress hormones or fatty acid indexes, um, micronutrient status through something like a NutraEval, even stool testing to be able to understand a better picture of their gut health, right? Like I think those are all critical components. Um, as you get to the collegiate setting, depending on, you know, limitations with having a larger team and then also financial limitations potentially of, you know, this testing can get expensive. A lot of it isn't 100% covered by insurance. Um, it can get challenging to order all of that testing. But I think the one that I have been able to have the most results with in the collegiate setting is looking at hormones um, because those are something that you can get tested and being able to modify someone's nutritional needs based off of the hormonal screening. That's awesome. And I think one, one key thing to note about that is that hormones don't necessarily need to be tested uh, using blood labs. And obviously, there are a lot of people who have issues with getting pricked by a needle, and, and that whole component is just something you want to try and avoid. So having these outlets where uh, urine, saliva, and stool testing provides this information that we can really take a, a deeper dive into what's going on can be, can be a really helpful outlet. I know that's probably a little bit further down the line, 
Are there anything that you, any, any aspects of nutrition that you'd like to address prior to this root cause? Well, I think just getting a assessment of, you know, what their current diet looks like. Um, I think you can also tell a lot by just judging the book by its cover, honestly, by looking at someone's skin, by looking at their muscle composition. I think that can give you a lot of clues into probably how someone is eating, how their gut is responding, um, how they're excreting, metabolizing these excess hormones. And then that can tell you maybe their liver needs extra support um, or maybe they need extra support from a prebiotic, probiotic or, um, you know, like glutamine supplementation standpoint, right? So I think all of those things you can assess by just getting a simple nutritional diet recall and then also, um, you know, looking at someone through like clinical measurements. Um, I think body composition assessments can also be critical there, right? Because you can, you know, assess how someone's body composition is responding to the nutritional interventions. Um, and, you know, like, we currently are using something um, where you're able to, you know, get different skin fold sites. And based off of that, you can, you know, draw some conclusions over, you know, where someone is storing more body fat. And that might point you in the direction of what types of nutrients they need in their diet um, or what they need to get rid of in their diet to be able to get their inflammation under control and be able to really further optimize their body composition. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, my, my experience at UCLA in the collegiate sector, uh, body composition was such a valuable tool because number one, you're quantifying whether your nutritional strategies and approaches are working. And then number two, you're actually going to be able to measure progress, look at it, and then make a calculation as to how to adjust and modify moving forward. A lot of times, I guess in high school and in college athletics, there's not as much of a focus, whether that be for financial reasons or it's just not there's not enough time and logistically can't be allocated to that. Uh, there isn't as big an emphasis placed on the fat-free mass going up as much as the total body weight and the ability to gain total body weight ends up being dictated by the, the quantity of shitty food that you can put in your body. And it's just, it's not gonna help overall. It's not necessarily gonna put on more lean muscle mass, even though you get 18 to 22 year old kids so that whole sympathetic overdrive concept is, is really big. Are there any strategies that you like to utilize specifically for recovery to kind of hit that other end when, where they're go, go, go all the time and then they have to kind of tail it back just to allow the body to really build the muscle because during training, they're not building muscle. And that's really where as a nutrition coach, you come in. Yeah. No, I mean, I think there's a lot and especially in the collegiate setting and I mean, professional too, but really everyone is just so over stressed, you know, and stress just, it reeks your body of being able to adapt to the stimulus and being able to really optimize your body composition. So whether that's hitting them from like, how do we support sleep? How do we support the recovery window, the training window, um, you know, or decreasing, you know, stress and uh, sympathetic activity. Like those are all things that you can do a lot of through nutrition. Um, so whether that's, you know, adding in like a B complex, um, right now I use sublingual, um, B just to be able to provide some amino acid support, um, utilizing, you know, a high dose of, um, buffered vitamin C powder after, um, you know, really intense workouts can also help with just getting their cortisol back down. 
Um, I always, you know, try to get athletes to understand too, to not just be like always just go, 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 go. And, um, you know, having your carbohydrates at all hours of the day, because carbohydrates are going to support that sympathetic activity. So, you know, utilizing those carbohydrates around that training window, uh, so that it can support that sympathetic activity that you want during training and then pulling off those carbohydrates, um, during the other hours of the day to be able to support more of that parasympathetic dominance. Um, and then, you know, generally having some like complex carbohydrate sources at dinner, because that's going to help with the serotonin, which then converts to melatonin to help with that sleep, um, to be able to improve the quality and quantity of it, you know? And then, I mean, I see a lot working with athletes where they really struggle with sleep, um, because they are either like playing video games all night, or they're just not prioritizing sleep or they're stressed with school and so they just aren't able to get to sleep early enough. Um, so a lot of times I feel like I'm always having conversations with athletes about what they can do to be able to support sleep. So, you know, it's adding in magnesium, whether that's through a um, magnesium that they're going to be taking as a supplement or maybe getting them to take like an Epsom salt bath, um, maybe use like some lavender, before they go to sleep to be able to help with that sleepiness, um, eating those complex carbohydrates at dinner or at like their shake that they have before they go to bed to be able to help with that melatonin production too. Um, you know, B6 is a good option as well. So, you know, there's some things that you can do from a nutritional perspective, both for food supplementation and just lifestyle to be able to help with um, supporting sleep. Nice. Yeah, I guess digging a little bit deeper in there, the, the carbohydrates at night is something that I was a big advocate of as well, having cherry juice available at, at the PM training table. Are there any specific food items that you like to get on the menu uh, at dinner time to try to, to kind of put them in a position to, to make use of those carbohydrates in, in a way that's going to be most beneficial? Um, you know, complex carbohydrates for sure. So like trying to limit anything that's, you know, really like high sugar source at that point. Um, you know, making sure that they have some protein with the carbohydrates, but not so much protein to where it's going to increase thermogenesis, heat up their core body temperature, and then make it harder for them to fall asleep, right? Because we know that core body temperature plays a big role or just, you know, temperature in general in being able to get good sleep quality and quantity. So um, I think, you know, the balance between the protein and the carbohydrates is huge. Um, in terms of like, you know, carbohydrate sources in general, like I'm not a huge fan of um, like wheat and, you know, processed carbohydrate sources. So I, you know, would typically recommend something like potatoes, um, rice, varieties, um, you know, legumes, um, lentils, if they're being prepared right and they're like soaking them prior to eating them. If not, which most athletes aren't going to do, then it's all right. Well, then your options are different potato varieties, different rice varieties, and then maybe some oats, right? And that's what they're working with. Um, and then maybe like some berries um, and like tart cherry juice, like you mentioned. Nice. Yeah, that's definitely big time. And I think it, it definitely takes some time to get accustomed to what the expectations are at the collegiate level. A lot of these, these individuals coming in at 18 years old are not used to eating complex carbohydrates. They're used to realistically going to Burger King, Bojangles. I've seen it all, all the, all the crappy food that they can put in their body. And it's a hard change. So the expectations have to be realistic early on. Uh, are there any commonalities that you've seen being at UCLA with Olympic sports and seeing a lot of different athletes, female, male, and now with Texas Tech, uh, with 
only football athletes, any commonalities in general for entering college and any advice that you would give to, I guess, people in their, in their junior, sophomore, junior year of high school trying to develop good habits? I mean, I think the biggest thing is that athletes just come in with like no nutrition knowledge and um, don't understand the importance of what they're eating and how that's influencing their body's performance, right? So I find that a lot of athletes their freshman year, like I always do an in-doc program with them um, of just, you know, whether that's like their first weekend um, and hitting them back-to-back days of education just to get them up to the same place, or it's a couple months long, depending on the sport and how much time I can get in front of the athletes. But I think that all athletes need to be exposed to nutrition. And, you know, typically whenever we have, you know, recruits, um, I'm just talking with them more about like the quality of what they're eating and just helping them like understand macronutrients, what foods fall into those macronutrients that are going to be the right sources. And then from there, once they actually get to college, it's like hitting them more on nutrient timing and, you know, micronutrients um, and um, how to really be able to take their body composition to the next level. But I think every athlete should start in high school with just starting to eat real food and um, you know, changing their reward centers in their brain to not crave chips and candy and sodas all day long. Yeah, that's definitely easier said than done. And obviously working with a lot of people so far, it's, it's, it, there's definitely pushback and, and a lot of it. So it has to be gradual and find ways to trick them into being successful and definitely uh, advocate a positive environment where, you know, you're reinforcing how proud you are of them if they are able to make a good decision like that really, really special. Uh, I guess in a collegiate setting right now, there's a trend toward, and I guess it's more of an opening up toward different supplements like fish oil. And that was a recent change. We were both pushing for that when, when we were at UCLA and trying to make that change happen and finally did. Uh, How have you been utilizing uh, fish oil and omega-3 with your athletes yeah, so we use um, we use omegas. Um, you know, we use them as just a baseline that they're supplementing with daily, um, just for so many different host of you know benefits. Whether that's trying to optimize their fatty acid profile to have more omega three than omega six, um, or just balancing that out better. Um, you know, decreasing um, their um, you know if they were to get a concussion TBI, decreasing the length of that healing process. Um, you know, optimizing their lean body mass to fat mass ratio. So we're always using it as a baseline. And then if a guy is to get concussed, then he's going through an actual protocol with me that's going to be optimizing um, different things that are helping with, you know, his brain's healing. So one of those that's going to be huge is the fish oil. Um, You know, other things that we're using are um, just like brain healing nutrients that are going to help with increasing acetylcholine and decreasing some of that inflammation within the brain. Um, Back to kind of your initial question, though, in terms of how we're using it, um, I find that guys don't like the fish oil very much, um, just from like a taste perspective. And we only use liquid, and that's something that I feel pretty strongly about um, because I do think that the quality of fish oil is critical. Um, and I think that you're going to be able to get a much higher dose by using liquid, and that you have less susceptibility of the fish oil becoming rancid and no longer being anti-inflammatory. So we do use a liquid. Um, however, we actually added into something I call like a fish oil shot, and it's basically just a high dose of that liquid fish oil with spinach, 
ginger and um, some pineapple juice. And they get that first thing in the morning with their breakfast. That way I can feel a little bit better that, okay, they've gotten some greens in, they've gotten some bromelain, they have some fish oil and they have some anti-inflammatories. And at least if they do nothing else right that day, they're off to a good start with that right there. For sure. That makes me definitely think of the, the, eat, the eat that frog concept where you get the hardest thing done first thing in the morning. And that's definitely a challenge. If it doesn't challenge you, it's not going to change you. And, and that's certainly quite a shot right there. I haven't heard of that, but uh, I definitely might try that moving forward. They uh, hate it. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't taste good, but like you said, it's like do something hard and then you'll be fine the rest of the day with anything else that presents yourself, you, you throughout the day, you know, so. Absolutely. Yeah, it's got to, it's got to be a little bit of a challenge. And I think one misconception about nutrition in general is that it's going to be this thing where all the, all the foods that you consume are going to taste really, really good. We want to make that the case. And, and I, in, in my experience, had always tried to blend health and taste, which was helpful. But at the same time, if you want to optimize your body and put yourself in a really great position to be successful, there are going to be some things that are going to be a little bit uncomfortable. Speaking of that, I think one area that is probably one of the more, more underrated aspects of nutrition coaching right now in collegiate sports. It's just holding, holding people to, to some type of standard, some type of accountability. And from talking to nutrition coaches throughout the, the country, it just seems that that's one of the things that they have more trouble with. Uh, are there any specific ways that you allow your athletes or, or put your, your athletes in a position to be more accountable of themselves rather than trying to be I guess the bad guy are just saying like, hey, you shouldn't have eaten that, you shouldn't have eaten this. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think education is huge, you know, giving them the tools to be able to understand like how to make these decisions because I firmly believe that every athlete wants to be a better athlete and every athlete is motivated to do the right thing, but you have to be able to get to their level to find their intrinsic motivators so that they want to make those decisions. Um, but you also can't expect that the athletes have this understanding. Like, although we might know that, you know, rice is a better carbohydrate option than is pasta. A lot of athletes don't know that they think like, Oh, well, it's all carbohydrates. So I'm going to eat it because that's what I was told to eat when I was in high school. So I think education is huge and just hitting them with that education. Um, I think that, you know, them doing things in groups and being able to like create some kind of motivation or competition between each other is also really helpful. Um, you know, taking pictures, um, doing body comp measurements, like them being able to see these changes. So many athletes, people in general, like they're not really motivated by what's changing within them. You know, even though we care about that kind of stuff, like a lot of people that aren't as passionate about it, they don't care about that. So, um, you know, them being able to see the physical changes, I think is huge, both from like a body composition perspective, as well as them being like, oh, I have more energy or guys say to me all the time, they're like, I can't even go to Cane's or to Burger King anymore because I feel like crap whenever I eat it. Because whenever I'm with you, I know that we're only eating as clean as humanly possible, you know? So like, it's kind of tricking them to be able to like get so comfortable with eating our way that they no longer want to eat their old way because they realize that like, they don't feel good anymore when they do that, you know? Um, but I think too, like giving them some foods like cheat meals or um, some things that are down, you know, that are up their alley some like more frequently is always good. So, you know, every once in a while, like 
I try to either bring in like a cleaner cheat meal or, um, you know, like bring in a grill and, um, you know, bring in like a taco truck, whatever it is. So that like, it feels more of like an event to them and it feels more exciting. And even though like the menu might not be that different from what we would do on a day-to-day basis, just keeping it fresh, keeping it exciting so that it's always something that feel not always, but sometimes it feels like, okay, this isn't just part of my job. Like this is actually social and it's enjoyable too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And setting them up for those, you know, opportunities to throw them a bone and bring in ribs or something is, is really special. And they definitely appreciate it. It also gives, gives you some type of light at the end of the tunnel where you're eating clean, you're eating clean, you're eating clean, and you know, you have a meal that's coming up. That's going to be really special. Uh, are there a- any particular things that you'd like to bring in that, that the guys love that are, you know, yeah. maybe not the healthiest thing, but kind of in that intermediate zone that if people are trying to figure out what could I have as a quote unquote healthy cheat meal where I'm not having like an ice cream cake as my cheat meal and totally just disparaging my, my glucose levels. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's not, I wouldn't really consider it a cheat, but, um, they love whenever we do steak night. Um, they love whenever we do burger night and with the burgers, um, we'll do like lettuce wrapped ones. And then I'll have some like sourdough buns that I provide sparingly to guys, depending on like their body comp goals. Um, and then we'll do like just roasted potato wedges as opposed to French fries. Um, and like they get geeked up over it. They love that. And I, it's not even that unhealthy, right? Like it's just a little bit fattier than maybe like we would normally do on a consistent basis and you know maybe like one day I know we did um I put together like a special burger menu and there was like hamburgers that had you know cheese on them um that they could like add bacon or avocado to and like now they're being able to decide like how do they want their burger made right um steak night's always a hit just them being able to get like a nice steak um and just like have that with a baked potato like something super simple like that they love just because like, you know, you can't always come bring out, bring out a grill and like have a full steak for a guy to enjoy, you know? Um, but you know, outside of those two things, like they are pretty good with knowing that, you know, when we're locked in, like we're locked in. And I always explain to them that like, you guys get 10% of your own time to be able to make your own decisions. And I'm going to educate you on what you should do with that 10%. But have some things that like you enjoy, but just do it on one given day. Like some of them, they try to, you know, have like a treat every single night. I'm like, stop doing that. Because the more that you do that, the more that you trick your mind into always wanting those types of foods, you know? So like instead push that 10%, push that like cheat meal to just one day of the week, as opposed to it being small amounts of like a cheat every single day. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the the, the key things that you touched on is you have to have variety. That's going to be huge. And then also some familiarity with the type of food. So for example, at UCLA, one, one big thing that I tried to do is make the food recognizable. So we tried to have, like you would see an egg McMuffin at McDonald's. A lot of guys were accustomed to eating that in the morning, doing something that looked very similar, but actually having higher quality ingredients. So maybe you would have a better quality sausage on there or, cage-free eggs or a higher quality cheese if, if the cheese was going to be put on there. Uh, and obviously the bun would be something optional depending on body composition goals. But again, that familiar, familiarity draws a younger athlete to it. And I think when parents are asking, what can I do to get my kid to eat a little bit more healthy? Well, one thing is provide variety. And then number two is make it familiar. Just totally. 
Yeah, and I think it's just like when you're trying to introduce like a baby to a new food, I always think of it as like every time that I try to add something in that's unfamiliar, I only do one unfamiliar thing at a time. So like one day, for example, I did um, like a turmeric couscous, which I was like, I have no idea how this is going to go over. Um, but like that was the only thing that was unfamiliar. Every else, everything else that was on that menu was things that I know would go off with a hit no matter what. And that way, like every guy, when he came down the line, I'm like, just try it. Just try a small amount and just see if you like it, you know, and just getting them like exposed to that continuously. And you would be surprised on if they don't feel like that's their only option. It's just a option within their meal, how much more willing they are to try something like that and be more receptive to liking it. Yeah, absolutely. And once you find out exactly what it is that they like, you can repeat it a few times. Just be careful not to repeat it all the time too much because it becomes kind of mundane and they're not as excited to see it. I remember we brought in, I, I think it was, it wasn't Wolfgang Puck, but it was something like that. We ended up ordering it too much and it just became like, oh, we have, we have this again. So you got to be careful. You got to really seek out variety. And if you need to get cookbooks, get cookbooks. If you need to look on YouTube or look online, there are so many options out there to make healthy choices. It, it's, just, it's just about taking the time to look and, and see uh, where they are and what's going to work for you. Yeah. Writing the menus is fun. Yeah, absolutely. And you got over time, you accumulate all those different options and the mix and matching can be, can be challenging at, at, at the beginning, but long-term it creates a great situation for the incoming freshman. Okay. Uh, one, one last point that I wanted to touch on. I get asked this a lot, the post-workout nutrition shakes. So any recommendations for a guy who wants to gain weight, a guy who wants to lose, guy or girl who wants to gain weight or lose weight, maintain weight, what are your, what are your suggestions? What are your go-to options? So with that, I'm looking at the guy's body composition. Um, you know, my thought process is that if a guy has um, any type of like excess, um, you know, belly fat storage, then he's probably going to be more insulin resistant. And so I try to decrease his carbohydrate dose at um, any of his like post-workout shakes or any of his meals. Right. So that's going to differentiate versus like, you know, a receiver who, you know, is like 8%, 9% body fat. He's going to be able to uh, tolerate a higher carbohydrate dose because he's going to be more insulin sensitive um, to those carbohydrates. So post-workout, um, you know, we have shakes ranging anywhere from like 250 calories all the way up to 1,250 calories, depending on what the guy's goals are. Um, 250 calories, it's essentially just, you know, a grass-fed protein powder with um, maybe some unsweetened almond milk and then some like frozen strawberries. We're blending that up, giving it to the guy. That way he feels like it's still a shake that he's getting that's just like everyone else. But I know that it's a lean shake is what I call it to be able to help him with his body comp goals. Um, another guy, he is maybe getting, you know, two scoops of protein powder with um, unsweetened almond milk, or we'll do a like organic um, whole milk that has EPA and DHA added to it. Or um, I've even tried doing like raw milks before too, having that be the, um, the milk source if I know that there's no milk issues with the guy. Um, typically we add in things like avocado oil, um, extra virgin olive oil, or um, if you're familiar with like nutso, it's just like a, um, you know, Brazilian nut or um, Brazilian, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, Brazilian nut, nut butter, um, adding that in there. And then we'll add in um, either some like you can carbohydrate powder or dextrose, depending on just the guy's tolerability to carbohydrates. 
And that we can push up anywhere to 1,250 calories, depending on how much we're adding in of those fat sources and carbohydrates. So, you know, typically whenever they get post-workout, it's going to be right before they go to a meal. So I keep the protein around 40 grams, no higher than that, because I know that they're going to be eating protein at a meal as soon as they get done showering. Um, but that's usually the logistics and the basics of what goes into a shake. Yeah, absolutely. And that quantity can vary pretty, pretty high and can also get down pretty low just to make sure you're, you're kickstarting that recovery process. I think that was one of the most fun parts for me, just creating all those shakes and seeing the reactions, not always good, but a lot of times not always bad. So you got to take, take the wins when you can. Uh, the, really the benefit of it is going to be the most important thing and the most valuable thing. Yeah. Uh, so, Hey, I really appreciate your time uh, just to give some more insight into this functional sports nutrition that we're continuing to try to expand upon and make better decisions when it comes to quality, uh, quantity specific to body composition and everything like that. The education, the assessment and, and the fueling combined are really going to provide a better outlet for college athletics and then for, for the general population person. So um, again, I, I appreciate your time and hopefully we can expand upon this topic sometime soon. I know we're always trying to find new ways to make improvements in our clients and athletes. Absolutely. No, I mean, I think it's, I truly believe it's the future of sports nutrition. Um, and I think it's just a matter of time before, you know, more people are on board with um, doing things the, the whole foods way. Yep. There you go. All right. Awesome, Lauren. Thanks a lot for coming on. You're welcome. Bye. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for having me.